Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. It's good to see you today. My name is Mike Jones. I'm the lead pastor here. It's good to see I see a couple faces I haven't met or talked to in a while. It's good to see you. Welcome, Jared and Daisha from the East Coast. And uh, Steve Art's brother, Matthew's here. He's from the East Coast too, man. Good to see you today. Hey, we, is anybody else on like, like overstimulation right now with Christmas? I went to the uh, zoo lights last night with my family. I had to sit in a dark closet for like a long time. I think I still have a twitch to my... You know, like, <laughs> lights in like 10,000 people. Oh, pray for me today. Well, um, we are here talking about the gifts of Christmas. And uh, so far we've talked about hope and love and joy. Thank you, Pastor John, for preaching last week for me. It, is, it was very nice to, to have a break. I also want to say thank you to uh, all the men that helped set up the Christmas lights outside. If you've driven by the church at night, uh, the Christmas lights uh, turn on and it's quite, uh, quite pretty, so I really appreciate uh, that. I also appreciate Dino coming in in the middle of the week and fixing things, uh, fixing our sign out front and a few uh, lights that had, had fallen down. I appreciate that. I also appreciate Mike and Carla Young. Uh, Mike helps me behind the scenes so much. Um, and he's already got everything we need for our pancake breakfast and Christmas cookies and cocoa and He's done so much. Thank you, Mike, for helping me this Christmas season. Um, today we talk about peace. You know, peace is something that the world is searching for, both privately and corporately. Privately, one person said, uh, you know, listen, my therapist told me the way to achieve true inner peace is to finish what you start. So far, I finished two bags of M&Ms and a chocolate cake, and I feel better already. <laughs> How many of you inner peace comes with a bag of M&Ms or Honestly, I'm a pretty fit guy, but M&Ms, especially peanut M&Ms, are, are like kryptonite. They are a weakness to me. They cannot be out there. Um, corporately, there are several organizations devoted to creating world peace. I don't know if you know that or not, but after, just do a quick Google search and you'll pull up a whole long list of them. And you'll, if you investigate them, you'll find that many of these organizations promote things like group conversation, dancing together, like holding hand, dancing, meditation, and team-building activities. Well, needless to say, after a lot of hand-holding, jumping around, and trust falls, I'm, I'm not sure that we're a whole lot closer to world peace than we were about 50 years ago, or 500 years ago, for that matter, right? It seems like uh, peace in the world has, has always been an issue and kind of an unattainable uh, goal. Now, I, I don't make fun of those things because I'm... I'm not against group conversation or trying to understand one another, but what I am saying today is that peace is not possible merely through human means. And I think the the reason a lot of people uh, try to use dancing or meditation or hand-holding to create peace is because they really don't understand what it is. Peace is a freedom from fear. Peace is a freedom from disquieting thoughts and emotions. And today as we open up the scriptures, we're going to learn that peace is a defining attribute of God. And since Jesus was God in a body, he visibly expressed God's peace in his life. And so now through faith in Jesus, what was once only a defining attribute of God can actually become a defining attribute of you and I. 
And so while it only takes faith to experience God's peace or peace between us and God, it takes work to experience peace between us and other people. But God is pleased when we work for peace, and you'll see there are several mentions of of that in Scripture. But our efforts to work for peace are only profitable when we actually remove the things that cause us to sin from our lives. Sin has a way of undermining our efforts to work for peace because sinfulness and selfishness tends to create conflict and breed fear. But if we do these things, this is pleasing to God, and as a result, He's going to give us the peace that we need to make progress possible in our lives. So let's get started. We're going to go to several different places today. Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. Look at that with me today. Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. You think, well, that is kind of an odd place. Isn't this Christmas time? Shouldn't we be reading in Luke chapter 2 or something? Well, I will tell you that yesterday morning I rewrote my entire sermon, and I, I felt like this was where the Lord wanted us to go. So we're here in Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. Special blessing. This is not an ordinary blessing. This is a special one. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. I find that a very unique passage. The part I want you to focus on right now is, may the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. When I read this, I was just doing a a personal study about peace, and that came up, and I thought, wait a second, his peace, as if God owns it. It's it's a defining characteristic of God, just as much as compassion and love are. Peace is uh, uh, an essential description or adjective that we can use to describe God. Why is that? Well, because God never has a disquieting thought. God never once is God worried or afraid or troubled by anything. He doesn't lay awake at night. He doesn't sleep, but if he did, he wouldn't lay awake at night like us going, what am I going to do with that? How am I, I going to approach that? How? Well, he's never surprised. God never says, oh, what? Where did that come from? Man, I didn't see that coming, you know? What, what are we going to do? He doesn't like make a powwow with the Holy Spirit in, this, in Jesus and think, okay, what are we going to do? Huh, okay, break. There's none of that. You know, God is never disquiet. He is never afraid. He is never troubled. At all times and in all situations, God is peaceful. Now, why is that? Why is that? I thought about this for a couple minutes, and I think it's because God knows who he is and what authority he has. See, he understands, he knows there's no one stronger than him. No one can defeat him. No name is higher. We sang about that. You know, it's the name above all names. No name could bind him. No circumstances are too chaotic that he would ever feel overwhelmed, right? How many of us have ever feel, felt overwhelmed? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But God never feels overwhelmed. He knows who he is, and he just lives in that. And as a result, his peace is undisturbed. He is always calm. Now, Jesus was the visible expression of God in our three-dimensional world. And so when he was born that first Christmas day, Jesus brought God's peace with him and he displayed God's peace to us all throughout his life. 
I think one of the most vivid illustrations of God's, of God's peace in Jesus' life is found in Mark chapter 4. Would you turn there with me? Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Mark 4, 35 through 41. This is a very familiar story. Jesus calming the storm. Here we read in verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? It probably wasn't that calm. They were probably screaming, you know. Don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Peace, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. In the midst of a storm, Jesus can sleep. In the midst of a storm, Jesus could sleep. That's how peaceful he was. He was not afraid at all. He was not afraid of that boat sinking. If it sunk, he would just raise it up. I mean, he walked on the water, for crying out loud. He wasn't afraid, right? And so he was just totally calm, knowing who he was and what authority he had. He stood up and rebuked the wind with what words? Peace. He told that chaotic situation, peace, be still, as if to say, be quiet, be undisturbed, be calm. And do you notice what Mark says happened? Look at it again. Mark says, suddenly... As if in a moment, the wind stopped and what? There was a great calm. Not, when I read that, I, that just stuck out to me because I was like, it wasn't just kind of calm, you know, like most lakes are. Most lakes are kind of calm in the absence of a storm. There's little waves that kind of ripple. But there was almost as if to say an absolute calm. All agitation of those water molecules ceased. I bet you could see your reflection in that lake. In an instant, bam, it was just done. And I thought about that. And I thought, whoa, that is absolutely amazing. He calmed the chaos surrounding those disciples and what he did then, I know that he will do for us now, especially for us who are in, currently in some sort of stormy set of circumstances. I know that I'm personally facing some chaotic circumstances right now. And you know what my natural inclination is? is to, it's to be fearful, just like the disciples. But reading through this shows me that instead of being fearful, I need to be faithful. Full of faith rather than full of fear, right? I mean, Jamie and, and just the word that came from the Lord, she mentioned that some of us are, are, are sitting here and in the last few weeks we've been asking God, do you, do you even care? Do you even hear me? Do you even know what I'm going through? Look at what these disciples were saying. Look what they said in verse 38. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And some of us are here and, and the Lord is saying to, that he, he's heard us. 
He's heard those prayers. God, don't you care that these circumstances are crushing me? Don't you care that I'm going to drown? And we're like, we're shouting at him because we're, we're fearful. I think that uh, we would do well especially if we are followers of Christ. We would do well to remember who's in our boat. And he's not disturbed by the circumstances around us. He's sleeping. He's there, but he's calm. He's not disturbed. He's with you in your, in your boat, in that set of circumstances. And I tell you right now, if that's you, I want you to know that if Jesus is in the boat with you, you're not going to drown. I don't care how high and how difficult that circumstance you're facing is, you are not going to drown. You are not going to be overcome, overwhelmed, and completely defeated and, and just sink in the midst of those. Because why? He is with you. And when he is with you, his peace is with you and with me. And so... I think that we would do well to remember who is in our boat. Now, if, if you're here or you're listening, somebody's listening online or uh, on the podcast later on, and, and you're not a follower of Christ, then unfortunately you don't have the Lord in your boat. And you have every reason to be afraid. You really do, because life without Christ is chaotic. I remember those times. How many of you remember your life before Christ? Yeah, it is chaotic. But that doesn't have to stay that way. When we make Jesus the leader of our lives, when we believe that he is more than a man, that he was the son of God and the savior of the world, that he died on that cross, took the punishment for our sins, rose again to give us eternal life, when that becomes our faith, our creed, if you will, then Jesus gets in our boat. And he speaks those words over our life, peace, be still. And he has a way of calming us and calming our circumstances around us in ways that we could never do on our own. If you'd like to learn more about what it means to express faith in Christ, please find me or contact me, and I would just love to, I'll take you out for coffee and we'll chat. You know, you and I as followers of Christ, we often forget the words Jesus spoke in John 15, 27. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. I mean, of all the gifts Jesus could have left with us, of, I mean, he could have said love, right? Love seems to get so much attention, right? I'm leaving you with love, or I'm leaving you with joy, or I'm leaving you with self-control so you can put them dang M&Ms down, right? He needs to leave me a little bit of that, <laughs> right? He could have left us with all those good things, right? But he says, no, I'm leaving you with a gift. I'm leaving you with peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. There it is, just the definition right there, troubled and afraid. This freedom from those things, that's peace. And so naturally we're troubled, naturally we're afraid, naturally we search the world for peace, but it's a gift that the world cannot give because peace is not possible in the absence of God's presence. See, a sinful and selfish world cannot produce or experience peace because sinful and selfishness naturally creates conflict and fear, okay? It's our faith in Jesus that makes it possible for one of God's defining characteristics to become, not only become one of our defining characteristics, but it's through our faith, our faith, your faith, my faith, that peace is even present 
in this world. I thought about this yesterday, and forgive me, this might be just a slight tangent here, okay? But I thought about this. I thought, I wonder if the reason the Great Tribulation starts after all the believers are raptured out of the world is because all of the people who work and promote peace are removed. They're removed. And so in the absence of peace promoters, you're left with sinful and selfish people who naturally tend towards uh, conflict, and that conflict leads to war, right? And so it's just something I thought about. I know there are other more prominent reasons for the Great Tribulation, but as I studied this, I thought, man, this might be a catalyst to some of those things. If you take, just think about your workplace or you think about your home. If you take the people out of it who actually work for peace, what are you left with? A bunch of bickering, conflict-loving jerks, right? (laughs) So, anyways, needless to say, while we're present in the world, God tells us multiple times, to work for peace. And so uh, before we start into this next section and I give you my thoughts about it, I actually want to uh, do something we did maybe a month ago. Uh, uh, it's a cooperative thing. It's a study and a share. I thought it went pretty well, so we're going to do this again, okay? Uh, we're going to form groups of three to five. You're going to stand, form groups of three to five. You're going to read the scriptures on your bulletin. If you look on your bulletin about halfway down, you're going to see three scriptures uh, you're going to see Matthew 5, 9, Hebrews 12, 14, 1 Peter 3, 11. I want you guys to read those. Somebody, one person or a couple people can read those aloud. And then I want you to answer the question, what do all of these verses suggest about peace? Now, that's the easy part. The hard part is I want you to find one other scripture that suggests the same thing about peace. Find one other scripture that suggests the same thing about peace. I'm going to give you like three or four minutes to do this, and then we'll wrap up, okay? So stand up on your feet, form groups of three to four, maybe move across the aisle, grab people around you, read those scriptures, answer the question, and then as a group, find one other scripture, and then we'll, we'll wrap up today's sermon. So did you find another verse about peace? We found a verse about peace. Yes, Jason, nice and loud. What is it? Excellent. Seek peace and pursue it. Wonderful. Someone else? Another one? Wonderful. 3414. Psalm 3414. Yeah. You got one? Another one? Anybody over here got another one? I'll give you a couple that I found. Uh, Live in harmony and peace, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. I really like that verse. Romans 12, 18. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Peace is kind of like the glue, right? It keeps relationships together. Ephesians 4, 3. Ephesians 4.3. Eleanor Roosevelt once said, it isn't enough to talk about peace. One must believe in it. And it isn't enough to believe in it. One must work at it. I think Eleanor uh, was familiar with these scriptures because what all of these scriptures suggest is that peace does does not naturally occur between us. Peace requires work. 
Okay, we're requ- uh, exhorted several times throughout scriptures to work for peace, to seek it, to pursue it, to make every effort, to do all that we can to live in it, right? But naturally, we're, we are in conflict with one another because, as I said earlier, this, we're naturally sinful and selfish. John, James 4.1 alludes to that. He says, what's the reason for war? Well, it's, it's, you've got all these selfish desires and it creates conflict. Conflict on the inside leads to conflict on the outside. And so we're exhorted to work for peace. Now, you guys know that I'm a, a physics guy. And so in physics, work is a transfer of energy. Whenever you do work, you are giving some of your energy away. That's why when you come home from work at the end of the day, you're so tired. You've got no energy left. You've been transferring it away all day. You need a nap or a snack, uh, something, you know, uh, a vacation, you know, to re- rejuvenate, get your, get your energy back, right? Um, and the same is true in our relationships. If we want to see peace in those relationships, then we're going to have to transfer some time and some energy and some resources into them, just like we do into plants and in our gardens and and the things we want to see grow. We, we have to do work if we want to see them grow and thrive. Now, in, specifically in terms of peace, it, it takes energy to resolve conflict. Sometimes a lot of energy. We'll come back to that, uh, that fact in, in a few moments. But uh, responding to con- conflicts in, in, in this way is good. But I think a better uh, response would be more proactive rather than reactive. Reactive deals with them after they occur, but proactive is more on, you're putting more time and energy and resources into them on the front end, okay? This gives me the second insight that I have for you today, is that invest energy in relationship before the conflict occurs so that when it does occur, it can be resolved more efficiently. Uh, As I thought about this in my own life, I I know that there are a, a couple of relationships at work that it's not that I don't uh, want to invest in them, or I, it's not that I have these consistently negative interactions with these people, it's just that I'm not around them enough, and so when occasionally I do have a negative interaction with them, it's like I'm in this relational deficit immediately, right? And so as I thought about this, I thought, man, I, I should be, I know that I have a different personality than them already, so there's naturally going to be some care, uh, conflict there. I need to be more proactive. That's how I personally apply this. I thought I need to go on the front end of this uh, so that when a conflict occurs, I'm not just down in this immediate deficit with them. And so turn that around to you. What about you? Where are you or with whom are you experiencing relational deficits, right? It seems like even the, the smallest conflict puts you guys in a hole and you're just at odds and there's animosity and it's like just take, takes a lot of time and energy to get through that. I would encourage you and I would encourage them, okay, uh, to become a little more proactive, to invest a little more energy on the front end of that so that when something does arise, you have like this positive, almost like a bank account. You have this positive vibe and energy about your relationship so where that conflict, it doesn't drain you down, doesn't put you in debt, I guess you'd say. And so my challenge to you this week, if you have a relationship like that, I would like you to use the holidays as an excuse to start over, okay? A lot of people, their hearts tend to be a little more softer at the holiday season. And so use it as an excuse to be kind 
and start over with them and try to find a little way to deposit uh, some positive uh, uh, energy into that relationship. See, you and I, we're going to experience God's blessing when we actively resolve conflict. Why is that true? Why is that true? Why would God look with favor on that? Because it's in his, uh, it's in his character to do the same towards us. I mean, even before Adam and Eve sinned, God had already planned out. He was proactive in planning out a way to resolve the conflict between us and humanity. He, before we even sinned, he already had it taken care of. He already knew what to do and how to heal that relationship. And so just as God took the initiative to work things out with us, so too should we as God's children take the initiative to work things out with one another. This is pleasing to God. How many of us are glad that God took initiative to work things out with us, right? Amen, me too. Well, speaking of being at peace with God, I I heard about this uh, 90-year-old man, this older man, right? He goes in for a physical, and all of his tests come back normal, just totally fine. The doctor says, Larry... Everything looks great. Man, you're just, you're doing really well physically, but how are you doing mentally and emotionally? I mean, are you at peace with God? Well, Larry replies, God and I are close. I mean, he knows I have poor eyesight, so he's fixed it. So when I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, poof, the light goes on. And when I'm done, poof, the light goes off. The doctor's like, man, that's incredible. That's really awesome. Well, a little later in the day, the doctor calls Larry's wife and he says, Bonnie, Larry is doing really fine. All his tests come back, come back great. Nothing to worry about there. But I had to call you because I'm just in awe of his relationship with God. I mean, is it true that he gets up during the night and poof, the light goes on in the bathroom and when he's done, poof, the light goes off? Oh my goodness, exclaims Bonnie. Doctor, it's not that he's close with God. Larry is peeing in the refrigerator again. The light goes on, the light goes off. I like that. I like that. That was funny. All right, before we go, I want to leave you with two, two thoughts about peace. Two, th- two last little thoughts about peace. It's in Second Chronicles 14. Turn there with me, please. One passage, two thoughts about peace. Second Chronicles 14, one, verses 1 through 6. Okay, some of these pages might be stuck together. It's not every day we go to Second Chronicles, right? Second Chronicles chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Say, when Abijah died, he was buried in the city of David, that's Jerusalem, and then his son Asa became the next king. There was peace in the land for ten years. Asa did what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his law and his commands. Asa also removed the pagan shrines as well as the incense altars from every one of Judah's towns. So Asa's kingdom enjoyed a period of peace. During those peaceful years, he was able to build up the fortified towns throughout Judah. No one tried to make war against him at this time, for the Lord was giving him rest from his enemies. 
The first thing I want you to notice that is that peace comes from pleasing the Lord. As you look through there, look at verse 2. Asa did what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord. Now, it, that should prompt you when you read this and you're studying the Bible, you should go, well, what did he do that pleased God? You'll find it in the next few verses. Look what he did. He, he removed all of the things that tended to cause sin in his territory, right? He couldn't control what like the other nations did. That wasn't his territory. He didn't have authority there. But he thought, in my territory, in what I control, I'm going to remove those things that tend to cause sin. The foreign altars, the pagan shrines, the sacred pillars, the Asherah poles. Um, what else did he do? Pagan shrines, incense altars. He went all throughout, I believe, beginning in Jerusalem, and then he moved out throughout his whole territory, and he broke them all down, probably burned them, and a lot of times in, in these scriptures, we read them desecrating those, those altars with like bones and stuff. They just, they, they made them unusable, essentially. So they would not be rebuilt, okay? And, and so he went through and he cleansed and purified the land of everything that tended to cause people to sin. And this pleased God. And as a result, God gave him peace. God gave him rest. No one even, look at what he says in, uh, at the end there in verse 6. During those peaceful years, okay, no one tried to make war against him at this time. Why? For the Lord was giving him rest from his enemies. I looked at that and I thought, listen, if we are trying to work for peace and if we want more peace in our lives as we end this year and as we go into 2020, it, I believe it starts with, with removing from our lives things that tend to cause us to sin. It, we have to purify our hearts. I think, isn't there a verse that says judgment starts in the house of God and, and it starts with us, right? And so here in our hearts and in the things we can control, our homes, you know, our mobile devices, our media, just various places, whatever might cause you and I to sin, I believe God is saying here, remove it. Remove it. And as a result, that pleases God and he will give us peace. He will give us that freedom from fear. We won't have to worry about anybody attacking us, anybody coming against us. God himself will give us rest because we took initiative to remove those things. And then look what he said. Look what he did. He said, he commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his law and his commands. I think implied in there is that he himself was leading the way in that. I don't think he was asking the people to do anything that he himself was not willing to do. And so he stepped up. In, these are the people he leads. He says, almost like Joshua, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord, and we're going to purify these things that cause sin, and that pleased God, and God gave them peace. Now, why is that important? Look what at, right there at the very end, okay? During those peaceful years, he was able to build up. Everybody say build up. Build up the fortified towns throughout Judah. Peace. You'll notice this, and I would encourage you to underline this in your bulletin. It's the very last insight there. Peace makes progress possible. How's that for alliteration, right? Peace makes progress possible. It's true, it's pithy. There's another P, right? But it's true. Peace makes progress possible. 
If you don't believe this is true, ask somebody who's going through a divorce right now and ask them, how much are you getting ahead? How much, how much are you getting ahead in your health, in your physical health, your mental health, in your finances? Probably not a whole lot. When you're engaged in war, when you're engaged in conflict with others, your thoughts, your time, your money, your energy is like almost entirely devoted to that. I mean, think about the things that keep us up at night and rob us of sleep. It's usually a conflict with somebody. It's usually somebody that we got to sort something out with, right? Peace, uh, when we don't have peace, we find that parts of our lives get neglected. Things that we would tend to maintain and put energy into, we can't because there's only so much time and energy and resources every day. And if we're directing most of it to resolving this conflict, it ain't going in to maintenance and, and getting ahead. Does that make sense? And so peace makes progress possible. Evidently, before Asa, there had been some wars. There had been wars in these fortified towns, these, things that, these towns that protected the rest of the country, they were broken down. And if you, he's in the midst of a war, he's got no people, no money, no time to go and fix those. But because he purified his life and purified his territory and the things he could control, God gave him peace, and as a result, he was able to go through and make progress and able to rebuild some of those parts of, of his country and of their lives that protected them and gave them strength in the future against their enemies. And so what does this mean for us as we kind of wind down? We're coming to the end of a year. I'm going to go into a new year, and everybody kind of thinks about goals and the progress they would like to make but I can tell you right now, you and I will not make a whole lot of progress if we're constantly engaged in conflict. 2020 will yield nothing more than years past if we don't have peace because peace makes progress possible, but peace from the Lord doesn't come until we purify our lives. And so as we come into Christmas, as we come into this at the, the very end of this year, the last uh, eight days or so here, I want us to think good and hard about our lives and the things that tend to cause us to sin. Those sins that easily beset us. And I want us to do what we can to set them aside. Am I clear? Set them aside so that the Lord can give you and I peace because I want you, I want my, myself, I want this congregation to make progress, right? I want us to make progress. You will look back, I believe, even at the end of the first quarter, you'll come into Easter and you will look back at the progress. I'm just going to say it prophetically. You will look at the progress that you have made, that God has made in your life as a result, and you will be amazed. How many of you received that today? You received that? That's a bit of a challenge. I'm talking kind of firm to you, but I, I, I want to see us grow. So would you stand with me here? Because what I want to do at the very end is, is two things. I want you to go back to numbers and in your mind and just think, you know, God told the priests, we don't really have priests, but we have pastors, we have spiritual leaders now, uh, and for this season of your life and my life, that's me, okay? 
And so I want to pronounce a special blessing on you, not that it's fancy, but that it's from the Lord and that in faith, I'm believing that God will honor it upon, upon your lives. And so I want us to pray that way corporately. But the second way is if you're here and you're like, man, Pastor Mike, I could just use, just, would you just pray for me personally? After I pray a blessing over you and dismiss, please come up. They're going to uh, just play some soft worship music for us so we dismiss quietly. But I want to take a moment to just pray with you for peace. Uh, we don't have to get in depth or nothing, but I, I do want to just take a second to, to make myself available and pray with you that way. So let's do that. Lift your hands with me if, just as a symbol of receiving that blessing from the Lord. Father God, I come before you in Jesus' name as, just, as someone you've given uh, authority to for this, this season of life and I pray in your name a special blessing upon your people, this congregation, every person here with their hands raised. I pray your favor, your power moving in their lives, God. I pray as they begin to purify their minds and purify their hearts and purify themselves of things that would cause them to sin, just as Asa did, Lord. I pray that you would give them peace on all sides, rest from all their enemies, spiritual and literal enemies in their lives. I pray right now. I know some are being attacked, especially as just a spiritual attack, Lord, upon their lives and upon their families. And in Jesus' name, I rebuke that, uh, that attack, those principalities, those powers of darkness, those rulers in this world that would come against them and against their children, against their loved ones. In Jesus' name, I speak peace and freedom to them right now. Lord, I pray, let this service, let this, this season as we celebrate Christ and celebrate his birth and the peace he brought us, let it be a catalyst to freedom in their lives, Lord, and in their loved ones' lives. I pray a favor upon them. I pray progress over them. God, that this first quarter, Lord God, of the new year, should you tarry, would be a time of absolutely astounding progress in their life, in their relationships, in their marriages, and with their children, Lord God, in their work. Lord, I pray for absolute breakthrough in their finances. I pronounce it in Jesus' mighty name that progress would be made in their lives and in our lives together here as a congregation. In Jesus' name. And everyone who believes and receives that says, amen, amen. I love you guys. Have a great week. Hopefully I'll see you Tuesday night. It will be a, a really fun service and it won't be long, okay? So come on, come on out if you're available, six o'clock. If you'd like to pray, come on up. I'd love to pray with you for a moment. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.